Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and Ortho Evidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bandari from Ortho Evidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, here we are, uh, Mo. It's the afternoon for us. Myself in Needham, Massachusetts at JBS headquarters and you at uh, McMaster in, in Ontario. And we're here in the afternoon because we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Kanu Okiki. Uh, and Kanu happens to uh, work and reside in Honolulu. So we got this uh, six or seven hour time difference that it seemed only fair since he's doing this out of the kindness of his heart to accommodate the time difference. But Kanu, I'm not sure you can see this, but see this really expensive Ortho Joe coffee mug? I see it. Uh, th- this, is, this is your payment for uh, being interviewed uh, with us on the Ortho Joe uh, podcast. So there will be one in the mail to you uh, shortly. Uh, and of course, we have to insure it for $500 because that's what they cost. But, um, not Must really. be the encrusted diamonds. Yeah, exactly right. So. Dr. Okiki, uh, by way of introduction, is our relatively new deputy editor uh, at the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery for Health Disparities. And he's been in that role for, uh, I guess it's getting close to a year. It was something that we started investigating as a new position on our editorial board uh, shortly after the George Floyd tragedy, which so many of us uh, personally and organizationally really thought to examine what the heck uh, are we doing as an organization uh, in this uh, area. And it turned out when we we looked uh, into our archives as to what we'd published on health disparities, it was quite a bit. We'd actually had 70 some manuscripts that we had published on health disparities. So it's not like it's a new thing, but it is a thing where we would like to uh, focus our energies and emphasis so we can get to the to the solutions part. I think we've done a pretty reasonable job in outlining the problem, but having given you that brief introduction, Kanu, can you just uh, inform our audience of what your educational background is is, and maybe how you got interested in this this area of research uh, yourself? Well, thanks, Mark, uh, for that introduction and also for having me. So in spite of my name uh, and the fact that I live in Hawaii, I am not Hawaiian. My name's actually uh, Nigerian. Uh, My father's from Nigeria, my mom's from Germany. And I grew up in Massachusetts. And even there, uh, people asked me, uh, are you Hawaiian? I said, no. And uh, I did uh, my training in the Harvard system uh, for college, med school, residency. I did a public health degree. And then I spent a year at the shock trauma center in Baltimore uh, doing orthopedic trauma. Uh, before my wife, uh, who is from Hawaii, uh, convinced me to move out here. Um, And uh, we've been here for about nine years, and there are worse places to be dragged to. But given uh, my personal background, as well as uh, some of the things that I saw in orthopedics, starting relatively early, yes, I have gravitated towards uh, research on uh, disparities in orthopedics, Uh, the lack of diversity in orthopedics, and have uh, been able to do some research on that in the past. And it was welcomed when uh, Mark invited me to uh, join the editorial board 
um, as deputy editor for health disparities in trying to uh, move the journal and the field forward uh, in the area. I was just gonna ask uh, Kano if he's having trouble getting the, the Bruins and, and the, the Celtics feeds uh, in Honolulu, but um, <laughs> I, I'm sure there are ways around that, but go ahead, Mo. Well, I was just simply gonna, well, first of all, very important question, Mark. So I'm even <laughs> sorry I even tried to stop that. Um, it's important to get that out early. But on a, on an equally important note, Kanu, can you describe to you know, to our listeners and to the uh, you know practitioners who listen to this particular podcast what you mean by uh, healthcare disparity? So when they're thinking about it, I mean I think all of us in our own way have a sense of what we think it is. And I suspect there are many uh, viewpoints around what we're talking about. I wonder if you could give your perspective on the types of things that you're, um, you know, that you've been interested in, but also would fit under the umbrella of health disparity research. Yeah. So it's important to note that there are many types of disparities. So the disparities on the basis of race and ethnicity tend to be the most commonly discussed and the most commonly uh, studied. Uh, but there are also disparities on the basis of, you know, socioeconomic status, on the basis of gender, on the basis of sexual orientation, and all of those uh, exist. All of those are real, and all of those are important. Again, because of, of my background, I've gravitated more towards the disparities on the basis of race and ethnicity. But those are not the only ones. Clearly, having more melanin in your skin does not make you know total joint replacement less effective the mechanisms by which looking different in america translate into worse outcomes and worse access is not a biological phenomenon however they are linked for a variety of reasons some of them social some of them economic some of them related to the histories of injustice in our country. And it's a way of pointing out that there are people in our society who aren't benefiting from the innovations, from, from the things that we in orthopedics do so well. And uh, you can pick any uh, subfield of uh, orthopedics and look at it <laughs> however you like, uh, and you will find that there are differences on the basis of race and ethnicity. For uh, total joints is probably the most studied, but we find that utilization of joint replacement is markedly lower for um, individuals of minority racial and ethnic groups in this country. We find that outcomes afterward are worse in terms of pain relief, in terms of complications, in terms of readmissions, in terms of you know, discharge to a facility, they're worse. And, and that's been documented extensively by our groups as well as others. Yeah, so kind of uh, the listeners, I don't think, well, they may or may not be aware that you worked in the Kaiser system uh, and you've been able to use that really, really great resource of your insurance database to do some important research in that uh, area. And maybe you could just sort of briefly summarize what you've been able to find in, in a large population of both underrepresented minorities and Caucasians that, that there really isn't any difference when people have good insurance and, and uh, high quality care. 
Yeah, so we did that study in a couple different populations, hip fractures, hip replacements, as well as uh, total knee replacements. And uh, yeah, long story short, we actually found very little evidence of disparities on the basis of race and ethnicity when it came to complications and outcomes after hip fracture. Uh, And similarly, after total hip replacement, uh, we did actually find persistent disparities when when it came to total knee replacement. Um, and yes, Kaiser is a, is a unique system. Number one, everyone's insured. Uh, number two, everyone has the, the same insurance when, you know, from a, a provider uh, standpoint, um, they, don't, they don't see differences in, in reimbursement based on the patient in front of them and, the, and all, the, all the providers are salaried. So it's sometimes hard to tell which of those many differences uh, contribute to the less uh, disparities uh, on the basis of race, race and ethnicity in the Kaiser system, but that does appear to be apparent. Yeah, I think those have been really important contributions. Go ahead, Mo. Yeah, I was going to say, Kyle, do you think, you know, because it's such an important issue and that research uh, funding body should be in many ways uh, making it, uh, for lack of a better term, a mandate to be evaluating and making sure that if it's not your primary question, that you're at least in your analyses evaluating, um, you know, various forms of disparity in your analysis um, for all trials, for all studies, ensuring that we can evaluate. Now, you know, you can look at certain studies may have a very narrow population, but most studies that are, you know, multi-center and there's lots of them happening in orthopedics, I suspect aren't even considering some of these analyses. I know, I know gender-based analysis has become very, important and has been regulated, you know, through a lot of agencies that they request it. But what do you think about the uh, opportunities that were missing in research by not looking at some of these other variables? And I guess the, the question I have for you is, when we start looking at things, we also start getting all kinds of answers. Um, and some may be false positive and some, you know, maybe potentially uh, problematic in that we may be creating issues where they don't exist or some places missing issues where they do exist. You know, it's a big question, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the bottom line is, if we can all identify this as a problem, and, you know, Mark, as you mentioned earlier, I think the events of the summer of 2020 spurred a lot of people who, you know, well-meaning folks, but didn't really think it uh, as to be their responsibility to try to address the issue. Uh, all of a sudden started to ask the question, what can I do? And, you know, from a, you know, from, from uh, the standpoint of JBJS, um, what, what they can do is, yes, uh, promote research on health disparities and specifically try to steal the, steer the field towards solutions. For granting and funding bodies, yes, what can they do? Um, you know, Mohit, I think you um, suggested uh, several things that they can do in terms of um, encouraging researchers to include that in their analysis, um, in encouraging, you know, not only basis of race and ethnicity, but, but other disparities as well. Um, that's what they can do, um, providing grants which are spe- specifically directed toward that topic. Yes. Now, when it comes to including race and ethnicity in, for example, every study, every analysis, that's a more complicated question because, you know, as we stated at the outset, um, race is not a biologic phenomenon. 
there is nothing about being black that would lead you to expect a particular surgery would have a different effect or a different outcome. So, you know, the analysis when done has to be has to be relatively sophisticated in that you're not only you're not only commenting on race, but you're including many of the confounders, the, conver- the, the covariates that go along with it. The kind of concern that's been raised is, okay, well, if surgeons get the idea that patients who look a certain way are going to have a higher complication rate, are going to do worse, you know, does that provide an incentive for them to operate on them less? especially as we enter into um, this era of bundled payments where surgeons and hospitals are on the hook for complications that occur. So such analyses, uh, you can't just say, you know, minorities do worse and stop there. Um, You need to think about, okay, what are the reasons why? And, you know, really what we're trying to get towards um, at JBGS is what can we do to address that. Um, There are certainly many conditions that exist in orthopedics which render a patient at higher risk of complications. To to stick with the total joint theme, we know that patients who have spinal issues have a higher rate of dislocation after total hip replacement. That doesn't mean we don't operate on those patients. Right. It means that we, you know, we've we've now gotten very sophisticated about figuring out, okay, what does that mean in terms of pelvic tilt? What does that mean in terms of preoperative workup? What does that mean in terms of how we do the surgery? And all of the all of the disparities that we see in access, in outcome, are addressable. Uh, it's just a matter of um, people um, prioritizing that. Yeah, so that leads uh, me to ask you that I, I think perhaps the, the most important question, what, what kind of research designs would you like to see submitted to the health disparities section of JBJS? What's addressable by the orthopedic community or is this really an insurance coverage national discussion type of thing? What are your thoughts about what kind of interventions could we hopefully see? Whatever the solution will be, it won't be a single entity. Uh, It's clearly a multifaceted issue and the solutions will be similarly complex. Uh, The the ways that we as orthopedic surgeons can intervene will be different from the, the ways that funding bodies intervene, from the ways that, you know, at the more higher level state level um, will intervene. But I've, I've been thinking recently about, I don't know if either of you knew Paul Farmer. He yeah. was uh, you know, an infectious disease specialist, one of my mentors at Harvard Medical School. And um, you know, when I got to Harvard uh, Med School, I had just uh, spent a year in Ghana um, doing uh, international volunteer work and was, was very excited to continue that in the future. And everyone I talked to said, you know, well, if you want to do international work, then you need to do infectious disease or pediatrics. And he was the first one who sat me down and said, you know what, we need orthopedics in the developing world as well. And if that's what you're interested in, you should do it. And uh, he recently passed away. And I know I've been thinking about his legacy a little bit, but 
what he's known for most is basically proving that it is possible to treat complicated medical problems in poor countries. Um, he did it mostly with TB and HIV, um, but he showed that if you take a poor Peruvian living in the slums of Lima and give them you know, the proper medications, their drug resistant TB goes away. You know, if you do the same thing for a, a villager living in Rwanda who has HIV, they can be treated. And it requires an approach that is different than what we would do in Boston or, you know, Ontario, but, but it can work. And so I think uh, one thing we need to think more about in orthopedics is what are the social determinants of health? that are interfering with our patient's ability to get the knee replacement that we all know will really help them, that are interfering with their ability to stay out of the emergency department after they had their hip fracture. And um, it requires a kind of a different approach. Um, there's actually, um, Mark, I'm sure you saw it. There's a great um, What's Important article in um, this week's uh, JBJS by Dr. Bonsu about, you know, applying a public health approach to orthopedic surgery. Um, what would that look like? Um, and so I would imagine that uh, one possible solution is rethinking, redesigning about the ways that we as orthopedic surgeons treat patients before and after surgery um, that uh, respects the the barriers, the challenges that folks may face because of socioeconomic um, differences, because of uh, longstanding distrust in the American medical system, because of undercurrents of systemic racism. Um, I think uh, there are things that we as orthopedic surgeons and, and health systems can do to address those. I think another big category is, you know, the diversity of our field. Um, I don't think uh, it's irrelevant that we are the least diverse field when it comes to race and ethnicity, as well as gender. Um, you know, studies in other fields have shown that uh, patients, some patients, not all patients, but certainly some patients respond better um, to, to physicians who look like them. And you do have to wonder if at least some of the, the, the poor outcomes and the, and the distrust and the fear um, that's seen in our minority patients um, might not be at least partly ameliorated by uh, having at least the, the option to seek out a physician who looked like a surgeon who looked like them if, if they chose. So I think research on ways to improve the diversity of our profession indirectly may also help uh, to start to tackle the disparities issue. I mean, the one thing that I would say, Kanun, first of all, thank you. I mean, clearly you've thought about this deeply. Um, the one, I, I'll make a comment here uh, more than anything else, but for me personally, you know, we've done trials that have been international, Mark, um, and I have run some trials in that context. And you know, we've often had pushback from surgeons in the developed nations saying, well, you know, we should be careful about the inclusion of patients and, um, you know, 
non-quote first world countries because there's going to be a, you know, just quote, the word is disparity in healthcare and that's going to affect outcomes. So we've recognized that in the way we've actually excluded, you know, participants in other parts of the world. But it's, it's, it's hard not to, you know, look very carefully at the last two years or so in which the world has experienced what I would consider, you know, low middle income countries have been sirening, you know, sirening for years, which is access to care is a right, not a privilege. We all should have access to the same quality of care. And what happens around the world when everyone is denied access, in this particular case, COVID being one of the primary sources of why access was denied, we started seeing the same outcomes across the world. And I think in many ways, it's just a classic example of the type of work you're talking about is that we should be, rather than excluding, I think your message is we should do everything possible to include as many you know, sources of what I would say variability in a study as we possibly can and try to understand it better. Uh, and to your point, if we provide equity or equality of opportunity for all of these patients in getting the in health through research, we might be able to really make some meaningful you know, changes in how we approach, appreciate things. So I think in, your, in the role you have is a critically important one. And just on a personal note, I, I certainly congratulate you for taking it on. And I know uh, it's gonna be you know, pretty amazing to see sort of the shift in thinking as we continue to have leaders like yourself uh, promoting um, you know, us to be thinking this way. Thanks for saying that. Certainly uh, honored to be in this role. And you know, clearly you and your group have started taking these trials, not just national, but international. And I think it's been very helpful to see yeah, variations between countries, what's the same, uh, what's different, and how context uh, really matters in terms of these procedures, which are otherwise relatively similar. Yeah. Well, it's been a great discussion. And uh, thanks uh, so much. Uh, to you, Mo, for uh, another very insightful set of observations and comments, uh, and more importantly to you, uh, Dr. Okiki, for uh, taking on this role and for laying out what I think is really a, a thoughtful uh, and hopefully stimulating set of, of uh, parameters, if you will, to, to move this field forward. It's, it's, it's our great hope that by having this uh, podcast uh, and this uh, Zoom available that will be stimulating some researchers out there to really get to the solution part uh, now that we have the problem so well identified. So thanks uh, very much, Kanu, uh, greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Mo, as always, a fascinating uh, interview with a great guest. And uh, this will be uh, on your way, appropriately insured uh, for $500. So um, thanks again, Kanu. Hope Hope to see you in Boston uh, sometime really soon. Hmm. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Okay. Thanks, Connor. Bye-bye.